transmission incoming. Welcome to the Potable Picture Show. Let's do it. Episode 0063, Pour Your Liquor and Pour Your Words. You've entered the Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. I'm your host, Kevin McCray, also known as Blarv, and I'm here to tell you this podcast may and probably will contain mature language, so be aware of that. In this podcast, we'll explore several things. Will we finally find out what the secret word is? It's been going on a while. We also will find out uh, Western Warlock's secret movie of last week, and we'll get some stats from our music. We'll also tinkle into a little tropical cocktail and cocktail corner, and then we'll dive into end of the tour and feature presentation, where we will jump off on many topics. And then Heathen will rank some tours as well. All this and more on the Potable Picture Show, episode 63. Let's go into the cantina and get things started. Joining across from me, I asked her if she wanted to do the podcast today or not, and she said, I don't care. So we are doing the podcast right now. I did say I could poop it out by myself this morning while I had nothing else to do. And she said, I really don't care. That is her typical attitude. Her name is Heathen. You said tinkle. So that's not the secret word. So who gives a hoot? I heard. I was a, hoping that was the secret word. I heard a hoot uh, yesterday. When I was hiking with Heathen, I was walking uh, because we were doing um, a late night hike because the moon was full. Almost full. And I heard something. I stopped and I said, owl. And then I told (laughs) Heathen, I said, I've never heard an owl before, I don't think, but I could tell that's an owl. (laughs) Also joining us. I thought he was lying. (laughs) About the owl? Never heard an owl? I don't think so. That's weird. I can't, I can't remember ever hearing an owl before. Also joining <laughs> us on the mini couch. I don't know what you call that thing. He has lots of Game of Thrones pillows. And he has some twisted tea in front of him. His name is Beer Maker Matt. He's also got a Game of Thrones t-shirt on. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. He's on. got the Night's Watch shirt. That means he can never have sex again. Well, he can, but With it's illegal. Game of Thrones <laughs> pillows. He's, well, the Night's Watch He's on his... his uh, the, throne himself. The Night's Watchmen are celibate. They're supposed to be. But they still have sex with the whores and moles down. Yeah. Anyway. Sounds right up his alley. <laughs> Do you like the whores and moles down, <laughs> Matt? Uh, uh, I, I like it when I can get it. Okay. <laughs> I was going to play something. Uh, what often happens with the secret word is someone finally does say it, and then I miss it. Um, I realized that after last podcast that someone had said it. I'm going to do a little replay uh, from last week. The guy was kind of saying, like, um, 
I could maybe drink a pint of this, and that would be the most if I could. Even if that, like, might be something I pour. It's really sweet. Yeah, might be something mm-hmm. I pour in my ice cream or. The secret word sweet. is sweet. The secret word is sweet. It took you like five episodes to get such a common word, sweet. Well, if we were like in the eighties, I could guess we could be like, "That's sweet." <laughs> Well, you're often saying how uh, drinks are, are too sweet and everything, so I'm surprised it took so long. So I have a Dora the Explorer sticker that you can put up when given a chance. Also, uh, Western Warlock is kind of a dick because these movies he chooses on Netflix are movies that no one would know unless they just sit there and watch Netflix. So this movie that we couldn't get was a documentary called Antarctic Edge 70 Degrees South. Um so we were on the raw right track, just none of us had known the movie. I happened to find it by accident right after the podcast. I went and put Netflix on, and it was the first thing on when you go to the trending and Netflix part. So that came up. Um, also, I want to say last week we had a new band, fellas. Did with... we at least have the theme, right? What are you talking about? Along with the movie that he was... Yeah, were you just listening to what I was saying? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Because I just said we were pretty much on the right track. At least I was. I was making sure that my sticker was being put on. Sorry. <laughs> so um, so last week we had uh, FWA, Straight Outta Reno. They are our third most popular song so far, so it was good for them. They're nice and uh, upcoming band. Uh, haven't bypassed Fuck You Like a Dinosaur yet, but they're, they're well on their way. So I might send Heathen into the field to get an interview with those guys. I heard they hang out at the bus stop. Uh, we might do that in the future. Because I frequent bus stops. Well, because you're our <laughs> reporter on the road. Why would you frequent <laughs> bus stops? Kidding. Down, down on 4th Street. It's supposed to be one of your things to do. Yeah, the big bus depot. That's where they roll. Yeah, that's where I hang out. The freight district. district. When, when I was asking if they had an uh, email address or mobile phone numbers, they just said, you can find us at a bus station. That's where we roll. So I don't know if they mean like literally <laughs> or figuratively. So heathen. I am drinking as my sipping beer today at home, everybody. If you ever hear this sound, which you'll hear in a minute, we'll talk about our sipping beverages first. I have IPA Foray from Deschutes Brewery. A foray is sort of like a tour. Um, it even says on this, this is a Belgian style IPA. And it says this is a trip worth taking. So this is my tour. I will end this tour during the podcast. Helen, what's your sipping beverage? Wine in the back. Yes, but this time I have uh, Bandit from Trainwreck. The the Jumbo Collection? That's from the Jumbo Collection. When are you just going to get the big old boxes like they used to have back in the day that are like as big as the water jugs? That's what my mom used to have. Uh, I was thinking about it. But Bartles and James. I'm trying to. I almost, I almost got her one for her birthday. Mm-hmm. Just a box. <laughs> Here's I, I, a box. I would have drank it. A box and a straw. It's, I mean, Take it to it. It's not any worse than that Sutter Home shit that you drink. <laughs> Be American Matt, what's your drinking <laughs> beverage? Sip and, sip and drink. So I'm uh, dog-sitting this week. So uh, I grabbed pretty much the only thing in the fridge that they had besides <laughs> the uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon. So I'm drinking a twisted uh, hard iced tea. Let me know how it is. It's probably sweet because it's a raspberry yeah. one. Here, let's hit a baby real quick. Uh, that's, that's fine. Anytime you hear that sound, thing. everyone drink with us. I can't remember if I've ever had a twisted tea. Uh, I can't say that I ever will. <laughs> so your your dog your dog <laughs> sitting at someone else's house. Yeah. I uh, 
on one of the job boards I saw that they wanted a dog sitter, and then I went to look at it, and it was like three weeks ago, so I was like, oh, they probably don't need one anymore. But it sounded cool. I just don't think anyone would ever trust me in their house sitting dogs or children, because I even told Heathen I'd babysit, but no one would let me around anything yeah. unsupervised. I, 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 Well, I work with this guy, and I've hung around him and his girlfriend and their dogs several times, so they, they uh, saw that the dogs took very well to me so it's, it's funny i have to like take pictures of the dogs every day and send them pictures every night i can understand there's some of those doggy hotels they, they have things like that where they post photos or something because i'd want to see that my dogs aren't getting beaten at a the doggy, doggy hotel. daycare yeah the, yeah the high-end ones will like do updates i had one friend or i don't even know if it was a friend just someone i talked to i don't even remember who it was said that they when they got their dog back from doggy daycare they were all upset because there was dirt between the dog's toes uh. They said they didn't wash them. They said, I asked them before I picked them up, did they wash them? And they said, nope. Or they said they did. And they said, no, they, they must have not washed them very well because there's dirt between the toes. <laughs> well, if you're paying for it, it's just like your kid, you know. If you're paying for it, then it should happen. We should do a hidden camera thing where you try to drop a kid off at Doggy Daycare. <laughs> just like the one where you're supposed to drop me off at Petco to get my get my haircut. <laughs> just give him like a little headband with doggy ears on it. Yeah. We'll put a collar on you. So, uh, yeah, they could be like, well, how old is he? Well, he's about, he's about three months and, uh, he's a boy. We'll make convert sh- you to dog ears. Make, make sure that he, uh, make sure he gets out so and get some play and sunshine. Seven. And then when you bring him out, even have him in a little kennel. It'd be great. <laughs> All right, Heathen, you ready for some news? Sure. I'm super Why excited. So Slash from Guns N' Roses. Yes, he's talking to Axel again. They're friends. Is making an eighty style slasher movie. He's been doing that for a while. Um, with stu- the Studio Revolver Picture Company. That's a magazine. They are keeping the. Well, I guess it's a production company too. Yeah, I'm sure they made a, a production company for Slash's movie. They're keeping it the plot under wraps for the time being. Um, but it's going to be kind of a Halloween, Friday the 13th theme. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely going to be 80s. We'll see if he's the next Rob Zombie. And I guess we'll find out more about it. I uh, I don't have high hopes for it. There's only there's only so many Rob Zombies. They do have a lot in com- common. Rob Zombie did uh, direct a lot of their videos and uh, designed a lot of their logos. Or Slash didn't direct their videos, but he did design the logo and he... He's done a lot of artwork. He designed the artwork for the Guns N' Roses pinball machine. You know, he likes to draw. I don't know how well that translates into making a movie, especially because making movies aren't that easy. But he seems kind of like uh, like more of an artist type that just like goes with the flow. It's kind of hard to go with the flow and, and be like a director. Yeah, you, you kind of have to have a vision, I guess. Well, yeah. Or get, direction. Yeah, direction and keep things on track. Hence director. But it would be cool. I, I, I've heard that he was into making the movies for a few years now, so i kind of even forgotten about this story. But it's still, still out there. Borderlands Video Game has a movie in the works at Lionsgate. I read the headline for that. No additional information is available at this time, but Gearbox has announced that a panel panel for the movie uh, was held today at PAX Prime today at 4. Well, the problem right now, and they'll probably change, is 
as far as I can think of, there's never been a good video game or a movie adaption from a video game. The Silent Hill movies weren't very good. I guess the first one wasn't too bad, but they really went off the rails. Um, everything's pretty failed. There is a big budget... Um, what's the big... World of War... There's a big budget World of Warcraft movie, I think, coming out this year. So we'll see if that that stops things. But all these other popular things like Halo and, and, and everything have really not done so well the Resident in the Evil movies. One, like the, the first one wasn't bad, and I think did pretty well. But yeah, I don't think the franchise itself yeah. overall did really well. Not, not super strong. And there's not really... I mean, I guess it's... If, if Disney can make movies off of rides like Pirates of the Caribbean, then they should be able to make movies off of video games, I suppose, because a lot of the video games at least do have a story of somewhat, but, you know, a very thin story. Yeah, I think they're actually, I heard they're, there's a movie for Fallout in the works as well. Which Isn't is, that what you said, right? No. What Border, is it? Borderlands. Oh, okay. Borderlands. So Fallout, I think, is the one I read today. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, Borderlands, I can. That's going to be a weird one for a movie. I don't know what kind of... It's just a bunch of freaky mutant people, right? Yeah. Or no, that's Borderlands. It'd be kind of... uh, Borderlands is basically... Yeah, it takes place on another planet, and they're basically a bunch of hillbillies. Kind of a backwater kind of theme. So, you know, they, they could... I can see. They can just pick stuff. any angle and going with it. I and mean, when they when they try to make Dungeons and Dragons movies, which they're going to try to do again, I mean, they really have the world open to them about what they want to do and make the story about. It could be anything. Yeah. Just like the world of Warcraft, I don't really know what that's going to be about exactly. But it's it's you know they could just take. I mean, like Pirates of the Caribbean, they could have dated on anything. They just made a pirate story that has nothing to do with the ride, really. So it's just all about writing and fitting and marketing. It's just the story's got to be good. Yeah. A little girl was banned from bringing her Wonder Woman lunchbox. I read that headline too, but because that- it's 2015, and I thought when I first read it, I'm like, oh, she must have had a lunchbox that was like Wonder Woman of the the new movie that's coming out. But no, here's a picture, and it's the old school lunchbox. So they said it was too provocative. Um, and it says it's love. She's as lovely as Aphrodite, as wise as Athena. So it's the old school one. Yeah, nineteen seventies Wonder yeah. Woman and the and the underwear and bustier. Yeah. The school handbook labels superheroes as violent characters, oh. which they define those um, who solve problems using violence. So she is not allowed to bring her <laughs> lunchbox to school because Wonder Woman is a violent character. Well, yeah. Thoughts? She's an Amazonian. They were yeah. warriors, but... Huh, I never heard that before. Sounds like she goes to some fancy-pantsy religious school. So that's weird. I mean, it's, I, I'm glad that they banned it because it was superheroes and not banned it based on her outfit or whatever, which is what I assumed it was. Yeah, I think they did the same, like the school down in Carson um, did that as well. But, I mean... It is true that superheroes often resort to violence, some more than others, like Deadpool. But there are also um, people like Spider-Man that, you know, every 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 Spider-Man movie, they forced in Uncle Ben's quote, with great power comes great responsibility. So, you know, he tries to solve problems with his webs <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they, his brain. But they can't say only violent superheroes, because yeah. then... 
it's a gray line. No, it's true. They're most violent. But what are they? Are they? I mean, well, the letter says we have defined violent characters as those who solve problems using violence. Superheroes certainly fall into that category. So it could be anything. It doesn't just have to be superheroes. So if they brought in um, a lunchbox with Pulp Fiction on it or something, or you know, well, any action movie basically put the Die Hard. Team. Pretty much. Yeah. Huh. Well, you know, that's how the world works sometimes. You know, we don't uh, we don't always defeat our enemies. I am so glad that I don't that my kid doesn't go to school anymore. There's so many things. Yeah. The uh, I like the. Um, the uh, I can't remember what, which football player it was. Um, he made his son give back his participation ship awards to a school because he's like, no, you know, we win, we don't get, we don't. Because that's how I, I don't believe people should get participation rewards. <laughs> it's bullshit. Be a winner. Like, yeah, I'm a I'm a proponent of nonviolence, but I I fully believe in the tit for tat. So if if you do something violent to somebody, then you deserve to have. You know, something equal or greater done to you. But yeah, problem solving is not always going to work. I mean, I think that we should result to that more. But yeah, it's not. It's not. I mean, the simple fact it's not always going to work. Yeah. Not every time. I just posted a video on Facebook on my Facebook um, about uh, a black adult talking about a field trip that they went on. It was at a cotton factory, <laughs> and they went out and picked cotton. And he thought for sure, I mean, he was young, so he was like, woohoo, let's go have fun or whatever. Have you picked cotton before? It's not fun. I've done it. Well, it's- I mean, he didn't really realize like what was going on, but it was a field trip and all the parents signed off on it. And um, he thought, okay, you know, pick as much as you want and have a good time. You and then at the much. end of... They're like thistles. At the end of the field trip, uh, they were not allowed to keep the cotton (laughs) (laughs) that's funny so he put some in his pocket and then uh, his mom was doing laundry and she's like where the fuck did you get this unprocessed cotton from and he's like uh from our field trip and she went down and was like oh no no i don't think going to a cotton farm is bad for a field trip i think it's actually good especially if you're going to relate it to um a history unit about when when these happen because like i said my, my grandma brought me a cotton plant, so I didn't really actually go out and pick plant, but it was like a plant, and they're, it, they're like thistles. I mean, they're like um, star thistles like we have here. It's, it's really not easy. And if you're walking around in there, you get all, you'll get all cut up. You'll get a, cut up something fierce. It's just really funny to hear the way the guy is talking about well, it. Well, I think it's funny. Because he's in college, and you can tell that they're all drinking because it's a group of guys, but well, he's like... <laughs> well, it's funny that it was a black guy that went and picked cotton, and then he wasn't allowed to keep it. Yeah. <laughs> None of them were. Maybe got 15 cents. No, that's pretty no, funny. I just thought, you know, that's a way around the chi- child labor laws. Hey, we're going on a field trip. But yeah, I don't think that's that's so bad. See, I thought this was a young, younger kid. I didn't realize it was a college student. I don't really know why you take a college class to a cotton farm. Oh, no, this is when he was younger. Oh, he's, he's talking, talking about okay. it when he was young. Yeah. Because I think that's good to go and see things. Like, you know, I wish, uh, I wish they would have taken me to like a, a butcher or something when I was in seventh grade. What's, the, like what's that TV show with uh, Drunk History? No. Cotton Picking? Drunk Science? Drunk Cotton Picking? It's got Zoe, whatever her name is. Zoe Deschanel? Zo- Zoe Deschanel. Girl Next Door, or New Girl? Yeah, New Girl. Uh, there's an episode where 
one of the teachers at her school takes the kids on a field trip to his backyard and they do all this yard work. That's funny. <laughs> I, I see. I think there should be more things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really have. Well, this is something, and this wasn't that long ago comparatively, but I don't think they could do this nowadays. And I and I when I think about it now, it seems kind of weird. Is my fifth grade teacher would rotate um, where three or four or five kids would come to our house for like a movie night. And everyone would eventually come over. And I can't imagine that that would probably be even, even allowed now. With No. But, I mean. We watched Legends starring Tom Cruise. When we were younger, we were allowed to interact with our teachers. I remember one time um, a, a overnight field trip was canceled. And my mom had plans. And, and she had. Uh, my mom was young. You know. So she was probably like 28 at the time. But. um she ended up talking to my teacher who I was close with and I ended up spending the weekend with her and we had a really good time. How good? It wasn't something that that my mom could get out of. Hidden desires. No, I just remember uh driving around Could this have been a lifetime CRX. movie? It was fun. So we you, had a really you said good this time. In Tahoe or in LA? No, this was in LA. I was like in 4th or 5th grade. So that was that was okay to allow your kid to interact with teachers in a home environment at that time. I mean, I don't really see what the difference is. Like I said, I don't see that kids would be allowed to stay with their teacher now. However, um, you do take overnight, like you're saying, you take overnight field trips with your teachers, and that's allowed. Like I, I took again, that was like fourth grade. We took one to San Francisco where all of us slept in a room, but. They just don't happen anymore. But in high school, I guess that's different because we weren't in the same room, but we went to Ashland, Oregon for the Shakespeare Festival. We stayed in hostels, so it was like just a bunch of guys in a room. I think the teacher had his own room. That was fun. They just, it's very rare. And if it does, it's like $2,000 a kid. Well, I was just saying with all the, uh, you know, stuff with the teacher, student teacher relations, you know, coming to light now that it just, and because and, we were talking about how sensitive people are about everything now and everyone's like mm-hmm. nig- indignant about everything and everything's so PC now and you can't say anything anymore, it seems like, and comedians are getting in trouble for saying stuff and, you know, that whole Louis C.K. thing on SNL from talking about the the pedophile that lived in the town. I don't know. I just figure... It kind of Do would be nice want. if the lights went out for a little bit and let people like live the way we used to. Yeah, let's go back to Mad Max and keep women in a in a vault, <laughs> milk them, collect some classic cars like oh, Cuba. He, he didn't milk those women. Those those women oh. were pristine. Yeah, in the big giant that, that, milking women. That was like the uh, that was like the queen's milk. You're not allowed to have their their milk. You can drink the big Samoan one. Mm-hmm. The cows. Anyway. Anyway, heathen. Let's go into cocktail and that's corner. my news. <laughs> I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting yeah. stinking on something I stir or shake. So every week in Cocktail Corner, we often try to take a drink that's based on the movie. This one really isn't, other than um, unless you're taking a tour of Mexico. Um, so I, uh, earlier in the week, or maybe that was last week, we had some... Get out of there, heathen! We had some 
Mexican food, and I was thinking, oh, I'd like, I'd like a mango margarita. I like margaritas, but I don't like the way they make margaritas at the restaurants usually. So, you know, it's really simple to make a good margarita. You take um, pretty much equal parts fresh squeezed lime juice and tequila, and about half of that. So maybe you take two ounces of tequila, two ounces of fresh squeezed lime juice, and then an ounce of agave nectar. Um, and then just takes out that whole sour stuff that's horrible. I mean, you, they always put uh, sweet and sour or triple sec, depending on. I mean, which. you can do triple sec and control and all that, but you don't really need. Honestly, just tequila. Maybe just a little bit. Just but. just tequila and lime juice is all you need. And then if you need a little sweetener, like I said, the, the agave is good. Um, and then I wanted to do something. I was I was craving a mango margarita. So basically, what I did is is I took that that recipe that I talked about, um, equal parts lime juice and tequila so if you take about three or four limes you'll get um about mm, two ounces or so of 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 juice and and a couple ounces of your tequila and it's your nice guitar and then i took um (laughs) i took about a half a handful of mango chunks frozen ones so instead of ice this is what we're going to use to chill it down i actually didn't blend it long enough so our margaritas are slightly chunky (laughs) unfortunately um there was one other thing i was going to say about the tequila and margaritas i can't remember uh, margaritas were uh, initially, they think, an accident that uh, was when sidecars were popular, and there was a bunch of Americans in Mexico, and they ran out of ingredients to make a sidecar, so they just threw together what they had to make a margarita. Anyway, what is the tequila that you're using? Dobel. The- Dobel tequila. It is a uh, blanco tequila, white or silver, blanco. It's in a guitar case. Okay, let's, uh, we have many things to drink to. How about we drink to that tomorrow, Heathen and I are going to CanFest for free. It is a local beer festival with over 100 beers. It is normally a $45 ticket, and we are going for free, and we are going to walk there and walk back. Thanks to me. Where is this at? Peppermill. You should come. Cheers. A little strong and a little salty because the way it did salt the rims and the mango, like I said, is chunky style, but overall pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, Heathen. I don't think I have um, anything else in this section to talk about. We already we already talked about our tequila stories before and margarita stories. My dad. So there's a lot of ways you can make margaritas blended and on the rocks. I prefer, like I said, just the way I said, uh, equal lime, tequila, and triple sec. Just shake it like a martini and pour it into a glass. Um, when I was a kid, I kind of liked the really slushy kinds. And, and occasionally I still get nostalgic for them, especially when they're cheap. Like in Reno, you can get them for a buck. And they're they're good to cool off on a hot day. But, man, that sweet and sour and make will give you... make them way too sweet. And that, all that sugar that's in that sweet and sour will really give you a... You know, a hang a bad hangover if you drink enough of them, or just make you feel sick. Every once in a while, I'll do like a pineapple margarita, so just equal parts lime mm-hmm. and tequila, and then just use a little bit of uh, pineapple juice to sweeten it up. A and you bit. have to use fresh lime juice. I I was low on the lime, so I didn't have the lime wedge that we should have had to, to squeeze it on top. My dad does the um, blended margaritas, and his secret ingredient is Seven Up, but I'm never sure how he how he uses it. I think he floats it on top, or maybe he floats it on top and stirs it in because you can't really blend Seven That's Up. That's probably just enough sweet too. Yeah, that's what he uses instead of like sweet and sour and mm-hmm. stuff. 
That's probably perfect. Well, I think he uses a little bit of the mix, the mix, which, you know, you can get a decent mix. Bit. And then mixes that the 7-Up. And then he always puts food coloring in his because he's weird and just like, would, would you want a blue margarita? I was like, what flavor is that? <laughs> Nothing. It's just blue. But <laughs> I was like, no. And he doesn't talk like that either. He says, do you want a blue margarita? <laughs> and I say, what flavor is it? <laughs> it's blue. <laughs> like blue Kool-Aid. Tea. Electric tea. Yeah. Even better if you have one of those little voice boxes. He'll get one eventually. Yeah, he will. The uh, the doctors told him to, to stop smoking numerous times. <laughs> and other things. Anyway. Anyway, let's get into feature presentation and knock everyone's socks off. Typically every week, the Sierra Nevada Movie Club sees a movie on Tuesday and then we talk about it on the podcast. Going forward, not sure how that's going to work. Don't know what next movie's movie is going to be now that Heathen is moving to late nights following Conan O'Brien. <laughs> um, but this week, we did see the film End of the Tour. This is the story of a five-day interview between Rolling Stone reporter David Limsky, played by Jesse Eisenberg, and acclaimed novelist David Foster Wallace, played by Jason Siegel. This took place right after the 1996 publication of Wallace's groundbreaking epic novel, Infinite Jest. So we're going to talk about this movie. I've got a little bit of background notes. Um, jump in if you have anything to comment on or talk about. Other so, than I think we should read the book. Well, you can and tell us about it. Um, a book that's infinitely impossible to read. Yeah, so we could talk about the book a little bit. So everything I've heard about this book is it's really difficult. And like Peanut said, she only got to chapter four. However, when they talk about it in the movie and when I read about it in magazines, it sounds really interesting. It sounds like something I could relate to. It doesn't sound like it, uh, one of our movie members actually afterwards says it's not like dense like Ulysses. It's not like it's indecipherable. It's just off the rails. Um, also, Infinite Jest is known for having something like 80 pages or 90 pages of footnotes like the footnotes are a huge part of the book and david wallace says he put the footnotes in there intentionally to break up the reading because um like a hyper reality i don't know what it's called in reading but in plays they sometimes they do this where the intention of the play is to let everyone in the audience realize that they're not watching a or that they are watching a play to to keep that um oftentimes the goal in movies and plays is the the suspension of disbelief but in this book, and like I said, the, the intention was to keep people, to keep them out of the flow of falling into the book and realize that they're reading. Not really sure why. Um, but in the movie, um, there were scenes filmed at David Wallace's house with dogs. Uh, David Wallace was very fond of dogs. Um, but in order to get the dogs to interact with the actors, they had to put meat in the pants of both Siegel and um, Eisenberg in order to have the dogs jump all over them in those scenes. There's also scenes where the dogs come and wake up uh, Jesse Eisenberg's David Limsky, and they had to put peanut butter on Jesse Eisenberg's face to get the dogs to come in and kind of lick him and pay attention to him. They were his actual dogs? No, these weren't his actual dogs, but the dogs to interact. 
Weird. Um, but as I said, dogs did play an important role in Wallace's life. He was very close to his two dogs, Bella and Wer- Werner, which I don't, I'm not sure if that was the names in the movie. That didn't sound right. No, nah, I don't think it was. Um, I did like that he said, well, I can't remember one of the dogs was a utility dog or something. He said, what are you, or auxiliary dog? I think he called it auxiliary mm-hmm. dog. And he said, what does that mean? He said, well, we were just out jogging one day and this dog showed up and he's never left. Um, but uh, he he really liked dogs. He spoke of opening a dog shelter. He had a predilection uh, for dogs who had been abused and were un- unlikely to find other owners uh, who were going to be patient enough for them. So there's a lot of kind of... Um, documentaries and stuff about that now about people that do that and one of our other movie members kind of does that uh who we don't ever see in carson city and that's something that i wouldn't have done as a kid i was a kid that i was wanted a puppy but now i'm someone that i just feel bad for these dogs that are going to be put to sleep or otherwise just because it's true just puppies are the ones that get um adopted and there's nothing wrong with these old old dogs oh maybe there's not nothing wrong but you know sometimes they just need some patience Wallace did die by suicide on September 12th, 2008 at age 46. I believe he had multiple suicide attempts. They spoke about one specifically in the movie. Wallace's father reported in an interview that his son had suffered from depression for more than 20 years and that antidepressant medication had allowed him to be productive. When Wallace experienced severe side effects from the medication, he attempted to wean himself off from his primary antidepressant, which is which was uh, phenazine. Phenelzine. Have you heard of that one, Helen? No. Phenelzine. Um. On his doctor's advice, Wallace stopped taking the medication in June 2007 and the depression returned. Wallace received other treatments, including electroconclusive therapy. When he returned to phenyl, the phenelzine, he found that he had lost its effectiveness. Um, his wife kept a watchful eye on him in the following days, but on September 12th, Wallace went out to the garage, wrote a two-page note, and arranged part of his manuscript for the Pale King before hanging himself from a patio rafter. So the Pale King was a manuscript he hadn't finished. It was unfinished. It was uh, eventually released after he died, but he hadn't finished it at the time. Um, Jace, well, we'll skip that one for now. We'll skip both of those for now. We'll come back to those later. So, anything you want to talk about, any of those things before I jump into my... Well, my first topic is, let's talk about the loneliness part or the depression part. Uh, Just other than, I think he uh, may... Depression, uh, mental disorders are really difficult to diagnose. I think he might... They they always are. Um, I think he might have suffered from some sort of schizophrenia. Um, because he preferred to be by himself. Yeah, um, but who doesn't? He preferred to be um, around his dogs. and Who doesn't? And we did Am watch... I schizophrenic? No. Okay, good. Um, just the way um, he was acting, even in the, the videos that we saw of him. So, yeah, let me preface that for a minute. I uh, Earlier today, I went... Because I wanted to see... I have a topic later on talking about performance in here, and they really talk up Jason Siegel's performance, who I personally didn't like that much, but we'll get to that later. But I wanted to see what David Foster Wallace really looked like, so I looked up a video, and I watched uh, about 20 minutes of a Charlie Rose interview, and then he then and I watched about another five or so minutes on there. And um, anyway, we'll get to that part later. So we did, we did watch videos on what he really acted like and some of his mannerisms and the way he spoke. 
and you got something from the way he spoke in real life you were mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. yeah um yeah as far as you could tell he had some issues just by yeah the there's stuff. something going on i mean he asked a couple questions um i asked about the bandana um just wondering if maybe he had his bandana positioned in a certain way. Maybe um, there was some um, ADD going on or something like that. But but that's bipolar, actually. Um, but I think he might have been in the movie, uh, paranoid schizophrenic, actually. In the movie itself, not, not based in real life. Mild. Um, the only thing I would have gotten besides mood swings and depression and loneliness was a sort of a I don't even I wouldn't even say it was a, a social condition in the movie I was going to say like Asperger's or something but he had a certain social condition even in the beginning when when um, Eisenberg calls him on the phone and Wallace says how did you get this number and he said well I got it for emergencies in case of this and he says do me a favor and lose it and then later when he asked him about it, he's like I'm sorry about the, the phone number thing he says well that was 95% a joke but just the way that he interact he just had a lot of trouble um, interacting like normal people do and to me that is a um either a, a paranoia or a schizophrenia what i got or autism because they run, yeah they but, run parallel in the brain what i got and and obviously you know there probably was some sort of chemical imbalance but um mm-hmm. i think he was a very lonely person and he came across to me in the in the movie and then in the charlie rose interview as an extremely intelligent guy mm-hmm. um in the movie he kept talking about that he was just a normal very. guy but um just the way he spoke he he double majored or something uh one of his majors was like um something like philosophy of math or something and the other one was literature and his dad didn't want him to follow the first one really and he also david wallace said that when he was thinking about the things he did in regular life 80 percent of them would be about writing so that's the one that he wanted to focus on but his first major was on something else it was like something really bizarre like that's the only reason why i can say those two things is because um if if you're gonna have um, those extreme emotions, it has to be those two things. Well, and I was just going to say, uh, when I was saying how he's extremely intelligent, as I think that that can separate people sometimes. Um, I can only imagine because I'm not as smart as that, but I could imagine if you're smarter than everyone around you that life could be boring at times and that no one can understand the things that you want to talk about. Um, and then, like I said, and then I'd, I'd add on top of that... Um, you know those anxieties and and mood swings and depression and add all that it almost seems like it's harder to deal with a mental disorder when you are smarter because you can sit there and think about it and then wonder like why you can't fix it and why it's wrong where if you're just kind of a normal person you're just um one of my friends one time told me that i there's some like hallucinogenics that i shouldn't take because people that are too inquisitive or think too much shouldn't take hallucinogens because Mm -hmm. it'll really fuck them up you just need to sit there and go with it and not think about what's happening yeah so i've been told i shouldn't (laughs) take any of those things because i would have a hard time i guess the other thing to note is that they're still just scratching the surface as far as brain chemistry Mm -hmm. and all that stuff so a lot of this stuff is 
just theory up until all of it's based on theory you're not ever gonna understand nature versus nurture well some of it they probably can i mean the brain is a very scientific organ it has like over a hundred um chemicals in it you know chemicals you could measure serotonin and melatonin and exactly but but there's um you can have an equal um experiment totally support nature that completely supports nurture every time i was listening to a podcast today on radio lab about uh, polar bipolar bipolar disorder Mm -hmm. and one of the cures is you know lithium and they have no idea why it works they they have an idea well, they have a, a small idea of why they think it works, but they have no idea why, really. Well, they've changed the the diagnosis. It originally was manic depressive. Yeah. Extreme highs, extreme lows. Yeah. They've just changed the, the medical term. But I was going to say, um, it's the problem, like Matt was saying. They don't know what it does, and I don't want to sound like a hippie, but um, with the pharmaceutical companies having so much money and them just seeing something works they just will jump into things Mm -hmm. not knowing side effects and i I am glad that a lot of these things work and like i said i'm not a total hippie so i'm not gonna say like you know that alternative means will always work above scientific means but but it just seems like that they really some of these doctors and again doctors are basically just like sherlock holmes they don't know what's wrong with you they can guess they can deduct. That's why it's they called can practicing medicine. Try one thing and see if, and that's why the doctors often say, "Well, try this and come back in two weeks, and we'll see if you're alive." Yeah. Um, well, Depico is a seizure medication, but it works really well for people who have depression, who um, are suffering from um, constipation. No, that actually causes constipation. Every every fucking pharmaceutical causes constipation. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, anything. I had to take Vicodin for a week, and I didn't. That's a psychotropic for like 10 days. medication. Yeah, definitely. You're a psychotropic cause- medication. Thank you. <laughs> so, what were you gonna say? Um, just uh, schizophrenia. Um. Oh, I forgot the schizophrenics are just people that can see the alternate dimensions that exist, the parallel universes. I think, like, we'll eventually worship them as priests because they're the only ones that will be Autism. able to talk to the other side. Autism and schizophrenia, Depico works well, and it's a really, really, really old seizure medication, and it works really well for all three of those things. It just depends, but um, you have to get tested for your kidneys and you have to get tested for your liver because it's very taxing on your organs well it's like what's the stuff that's in marijuana that helps with seizures and it's like one of the only drugs that works for a a lot of for everything yeah and they have no idea why you know which is why it's really hard for you know the government to legalize it but i mean it's proven that it works they just don't know why yeah I can't remember what disease it was. I read this in the news earlier, but they found this old, like, alchemical um, book from, like, the 1800s or something, and it was some skin disease or something, and it was this very precise uh, ingredients that if you even messed up by a little bit, it wouldn't it wouldn't have the effect, but it was 
a cure that for a modern disease that a modern medicine hadn't had and it was you know it was all things out in the uh, out in the wild you know like three drops of thistle milk kind of stuff like very like potion-esque like i said it was the 1800s but it worked very much like my mother and i don't understand why you keep calling me a hippie well no i'm not like your mother i'm just saying that was a fact i read it so it's a fact because i read it um but yet my mom who's an but going al- she's like no uh, forget it so this is more of the nurture side or the yeah, the nurture side than the nature side, but people can also feel lonely by experiencing highs and lows, and this kind of went on in the movie, not necessarily to make him feel more lonely, but it's called End of the Tour, and towards the end of the tour, there's a conversation where um, David Foster Wallace is saying, like, I have to readjust to my regular life, I've been doing this for a while. He actually approached it a lot different than most people would, but it was still an adjustment. He built up a persona, an armor, ready. Basically, he went on tour like, like it was going to war. It was hard for him. And then he came back and he had to unwind and get used to regular life. And I've talked about this before he then interrupts me on the podcast before. And she's disagreed with me, so she'll disagree with me again. But they say it's why a lot of athletes and comedians um, and people that perform in the spotlight um, are usually die of drug overdoses and things like that is because they can't balance the highs and the lows. So they go out, they get a Super Bowl catch Everyone in the world loves them. Then they go home and they're alone. You're a comedian. You're in front of thousands of people, hanging every word, laughing all the time. Then um, you feel like everyone's on your nuts. Then you go back to your hotel and you can't maintain that high. It's sort of the reason like addicts are always trying to follow the high, whether it's heroin or alcohol. They're trying to chase the buzz. That's what it is with these. I, I could see it could be very addictive to being. Um, that's a normal person addicted. who got addicted to I know, fame. I'm just that's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying being addicted to fame. I think that for everyone, even heathen who was in high school plays, I think it's hard to go from that high of being performing and on stage and in front of everyone to having to go back and just be your shitty old life. I'm not relating this to the movie. I'm talking about regular people. Well, I think what he was talking about. Um, being in a mental disorder head um, was he had to pretend to be someone else. Well, that's what I said. He had to put on his armor when he went yeah. out. It was like going to war. It was different. He didn't go mm-hmm. out and enjoy it. That, you can't compare that to... Well, I was just talking about... I wasn't comparing it. two different worlds. I wasn't comparing it. Okay. I was talking about another form of loneliness, not for him, just for people that um, can experience loneliness that way. They don't even have to be like superstars. It could be, you could just be baby at work and just be a high at being at work and then you go home and you're all alone and you feel lonely. Um, there's a lot of ways to feel lonely. It doesn't You don't have to be famous and you don't have to be in your head. I was just talking about another another side of that. Well, you also, you'll probably touch on this later, but they at the end he talks about basically... <sighs> Kind of his version of the, you know, the higher you climb, the the harder you're going to fall mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And then he did his his dance. His dance was kind of his way to unwind, which was kind of cool. Um, I was telling Heathen that I was trying, because there was different, there's, there's a line, or there was a part in this movie where um, uh, Eisenberg is asking Siegel, David Foster Wallace, about if he wants a relationship, if he wants to be married, if he wants kids and everything. And David Foster Wallace says, well, you know, it, w- it would kind of be nice. 
and Eisenberg says, you know, like to have someone to call when you get back to the hotel room. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to picture that because there's a part in the movie where Eisenberg gets pissed off and he calls his girlfriend and then ends up like hanging up on her. But at least he had her to call. And I was trying to recall because I haven't, I'm not a particularly lonely person. I'm often a melancholic or sad person. I'm not particularly lonely, but I was trying to remember what that was like. And I was talking to Heathen about that is the closest I could remember to being lonely is times when I'm actually kind of happy. And I wish I just had those happy times to share with someone like, um, when I've traveled and traveling by yourself is sometimes as cool, but if you go to someplace really nice, or it doesn't even have to be nice. It could be somewhere here outside your door, like a rainbow or go hike to a waterfall or something. So for me, I often, it doesn't even have to be a, a, a female. It could just be a friend or just another person just saying, Hey, are you seeing this too? This is pretty awesome. It feels like that unless someone else acknowledges something that you see, um, it's not valid. It, it doesn't have value unless someone else tells you that it has value. It's hard for you to just, not for everyone. For me, and this is kind of a weakness, I guess, it's hard for me to see something and and feel uh, 100% enjoyment unless someone else could be like, yes, you're right, this is beautiful. I could eat the most delicious steak, and if I'm the only one that can taste it, I feel like that it's not going to live in memory unless someone else is there to know. At least one other person to be like, yes, remember when we had that delicious steak? So to me, that's another kind of form of, of, of loneliness in a way is is being trapped with only your own feelings or your own dreams or even sometimes when you're trying to explain an idea to someone and they can't understand what you're saying and you can picture it in your head but they can't understand it it's like a certain uh, disconnect yeah, i think we all just need to get those little chips put in our head that allows us to communicate yeah uh, i think it's i think it's really important to have um your own special moments that you have by yourself yeah i do those in the shower with lotion (laughs) thank you um and also uh not to quote john mayer but um Uh, it's fine to hit that baby (laughs) you can't uh live your life through a camera drink haven yeah, I agree with that. I don't, I'm not sure how that relates, but I agree with it. They're both the same. Um, you don't necessarily need to share the experiences with somebody else, and you don't always have to take pictures to share with somebody else. Sometimes just you just have to be where you're at. It's hard for me to be in the moment. It's something I've really tried to work on. Um, I'm actually not that bad in being in the moment. I'm hard. I have difficulty appreciating the moment later. Like, I can totally enjoy something pretty fully at the time. And then I think about it. I've, I talked about this. I wish I could take that feeling and make it like a cologne and spray it on myself, like that appreciation to remember later. Because I can think about it analytically. Like, oh, remember the time that you stayed in your car for a month and then you were able to stretch out on a couch and how great that felt? You know, I can't you really... You should have taken a bunch of pictures I then. I can't really remember what it felt like. You should have taken... Well, I think there's all... A picture and been like... My armpit smells like shit. So a few years ago, I was reading an article about love. And to me, it really wasn't about love because they talk about basically love is, you know, waking up in the morning and, you know, making somebody you care about a piece of toast and, Hmm. you know, taking the butter and making a heart shaped butter in and then, you know, having it completely melt so that person doesn't even see, you know, the 
the heart or whatever and you still give it to him but you still feel the satisfaction of you know having maybe one sunday a month or maybe one Sunday a year, but that's not love. I don't right. think love yeah, is an was, Yeah, to me, it wasn't anything about love at all. It was more of, you know, having some sort of appreciation or, you know, satisfaction within yourself um, and not needing to, you know, share that with anybody, just knowing yourself that, you know, you that did was that for that, somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I could understand it from that point of view, I suppose. Um, hmm. You're doing that for somebody else. And nothing expected back. Right. Just like Christmas. <laughs> it's all about giving. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. It's, it's consumerism. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Don't even take that back. So let me go back to some of my notes. Take the word back. Because then I wanted to talk about the, the performances. Um, so Jason Siegel... Um, there's been high praise for his performance. It's been called a relevation, stunning, infinitely impressive. The Huffington Post wrote, it's early, but let's prep Jason Seagal's Oscar campaign. Um, Seagal did take the part with some trepidation. He, um, for preparing for the role, he listened to a lot of Linsky's... Define trepidation, please. Hesitation. Okay. Um, nervousness is what it says here. I've written down. I, I thought that's what it meant. I just wanted to make sure. Um... Uh, preparing for the role, Seagal listened to those recordings that we saw in the movie, the tapes. He watched online clips, as many as he could, like Heathen and I watched the one. Um, he did assemble a small book club to read Infinite Jest so that the the book people could kind of explain to him what the book meant. Um, he told the New York Times, when he bought the novel, the saleswoman rolled her eyes and said, Infinite Jest, every guy I've ever dated has an unread copy on his bookshelf. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Um, Jason Seagal says, I try to do things that scare me. Uh, Scaring himself, after all, is what led him to write and star in 2008's Forgetting Sarah Marshall, a project that he calls one of his most honest performances and includes what surely was a scary-to-film full-frontal nude scene. Uh, It's one of the biggest things I'll remember about that movie because there's so much talk of it going into the movie. Um, I even remember Entertainment Weekly talking about male full-frontal nudity and talking about Michael Fassbender's huge dick. Um, you know, it, it led him to bring the Muppets back to life in the movies. He was really, you know, the champion of that. He wrote a children's book called Nightmares, which is a, a series about facing your fears. And it propelled him to take this role, even though he's extremely nervous. He, after How I Met Your Mother wrapped out, he flew out the next day to begin work on this film without taking any vacation or any time off. And basically it was straight, um, they talk about it was just him and J.C. Eisenberg spending almost every day together just in the car, riding to and from work and eating meals together and things like that. I think they did a really good job. I think they did. Well, at first I was, this is my opinion. At first I thought, like I said, I I didn't think he did that great of a job because his performance seemed very wooden and almost bad acting to me. That's why I wanted to see David Wallace in real life. So I think he got a lot of the rhythms down, and he got some of the... There's something I saw where David Wallace did a lot of things like with the side of his mouth when he talked that Jason Segal did in the movie. So I think he got like a lot of the, the, the persona down. Just I don't still don't think the acting was actually that spot on. But that was just me. Um, I'll probably get nominated. Well, fuck you. <laughs> I, 
I mean, it can't be a total mimic. Then it... Well, that was the thing. Before I even saw what David Foster Wallace looked like, that's the reason I looked him up. Yeah. Is like, I think he did a shitty job in this movie, so I got to see, what, is the guy in real life this wooden? Like, is this guy in the oh, real no, life I, just like... I assumed that he was very much like that. But I found in the one, and we only, I only watched the one interview, that David Foster Wallace in real life was much more animated, was much more almost happy, just personal. much more... Yeah, personal, where... Again, I think Jason Segal lost some of that. Like he made him more of like this total guy. That well, that was they, that because that was kind of more of the real him and everything. It else was just was an interview. It wasn't his personal life. It was an interview. Well, that is part of that, and you miss this part in the interview. Is is uh, David Foster Wallace keeps saying things, just like Jason Segal said in the movie. He does say a lot of things. Like um, I'm going to sound really pretentious when I say this. And Charlie Rose says, "Don't worry about what you sound like. Just be you." And he said, and then. Uh, and then David Foster Wallace says, well, it's easy for you to say, but you have to realize not being yourself and coming on TV is like the hardest thing to do. Like you've been doing, and he tells Charlie mm-hmm. Rose, he said, you've been doing this long enough that you can probably do it. He said, this is really hard for me to not worry about what everyone's going to think about me. Or what you're going to write. And the only thing, the only thing that I have to say about that movie is that I would have liked to see what David wrote. Well, about yeah. him. Um, you can look it up, and, and and you hear some of it in the movie. Um, well, some of the script was based. So this movie was based on a book, but there's some scenes that weren't in the book that um, David Limsky personally told, like Jesse Eisenberg and other people, and said, "Well, I didn't put this in the book because I felt it detracted from the story." Uh, the whole part where they're arguing in the kitchen about um, Limsky like moving in, like none of that was in the book, but that was something David Limsky told him happened and then the screenwriter said he basically made that like the anchor of his third act of the movie and he's glad that he found out that information because he didn't really know how to how to segue into that into that side into that kind of the conflict more you know the conflict between the two because up to that point everything was pretty good it was two awkward guys having a 90 minute conversation um I thought Eisenberg was interesting in the movie. I didn't like... He's a very awkward person in almost every film he's in, but he had a laugh that he was an intentional choice because he did it every time that he laughed in the movie. I thought that was weird. It was like the... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was really weird. Also, it seemed like in almost every scene, or a lot of scenes, it seems like he was crying or on the verge of crying, and I couldn't figure that out. I tried to look it up on the internet. I was like, was Jesse Eisenberg crying during the filming of this movie? Because there's a lot of scenes. I even wanted to ask Heathen, sitting next to me, is he crying? Like when he's laying in bed, it always looked like that. Maybe he just got such a bitch face that it looks like he's always going to start crying. But it really did. There was, there was at one point in the movie that you actually did see her. See, you did know, he? Tear come okay. Down. So that was pretty good, I guess. I don't know. Too awkward. I don't know. It's a weird movie to pitch. A 90-minute conversation between two extremely socially awkward guys. And I think he was um, maybe seeing a part of himself or connecting with... Who, Jesse him. Eisenberg? Yeah. The the two characters. Um, definitely. Sorry. Don't say sorry. Uh, I don't have too much else to say. I did write down Alanis Morissette because that was a part of this movie. Um, I like that uh, 
Limsky says, why do you why do you have that in your kitchen? And he said, well, it's Alanis Morissette. You know, maybe I heard her songs. One thing I want to go back to, uh, one thing I learned in the Charlie Rose interview that I watched that totally, they hint at it a little bit in the movie when they're talking about Die Hard. But David Foster Wallace uh, was extremely attuned to media and movies, was a huge film critic. Um there's like 10 minutes where they talk about David Lynch in this interview. He was really into directors and the way they did things. Um, so in the movie, he does say that he has an addiction to television. Yeah. So I, it kind of makes sense. But he was just... Because Infinite Jest, what it's supposedly about is... A lot of it about is that... And they talk about this in the movie a little bit too. That we, we spend too much time investing in media and um, things like that and it's not really that important and the book is supposed to be talking about that how we're all lonely and how media is just like a um it's like eating a candy bar it's not nourishing or anything like that buy it for me and um so i was surprised when i read the interview like how in tune he was with every modern movie at the time they talk about like sense and sensibility and uh um uh can't remember the name of that movie but they but even like movies that people weren't seeing he's, he's talking about so he was extremely savvy where in the in the movie i didn't really get that side of him he seemed like he was only into maybe older stuff uh no when you were saying about the um girlfriend lost highways well then the when girlfriend they went, when they went to the movies as well oh yeah and he yeah. wanted to see and he really liked uh Broken Arrow, that was funny, and he was he was defending Broken Arrow. That was actually a really funny part of the movie. And then after that. that, he uh, continued to watch TV well into yeah. the morning where everybody yeah. was asleep. He was attached to the... You just didn't really see him talk about it that much, is what I liked, though, in, 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 in the interview. Um, so, Oh, yeah, so the Alanis Morissette thing. So, so Lipsky asked him about Alanis Morissette and why it's the only thing in his kitchen. And he says, well, you know, it's like you see like these supermodels, these Victoria's Secret models, and you can't ever really picture them as being sexy because they don't seem like they'd really exist. Where Alanis Morissette just seems like she could be someone you'd actually bump into in real life. Which I thought was a funny way of looking at things, and I guess I could 5% agree, I suppose. I don't know. Um, Only 5%? I don't know. (laughs) Um the only thing I could talk about, I don't really know if anyone could talk about that theory. I was just going to talk about that. Heath and I were talking about um, that I still think it's so weird that the song You Ought to Know is about Dave Coulier, who seems like the least cool, hot <laughs> guy that ever needs a song written about him. And that. Um, One of my favorite songs is from Lennox Morissette, and I can't remember the name of it, but I have how the ironic. tune in. Yeah. <laughs> that song is so not ironic <laughs> but uh yeah but i was gonna say about um dave coulier is that that's one of the things of showbiz and it's probably better back in the day before there was all this media attention is if you don't know someone they could be totally different so if you only knew bob saget from america's funnest home videos and full house you wouldn't know the real bob saget who's just like a dirty pervert and I knew John Stamos pretty much. And just the only thing I know Dave Coulier from is like I've seen him on a couple specials back in the 80s and on Full House. And he just seemed like a really dorky douchebag that did Popeye impersonations. Um, I can't imagine anyone writing a song about giving him a blowjob in a movie theater. <laughs> That's all I have to say about Alanis Morissette. I, went to a, I, I worked at Alanis Morissette concert before. A lot of girls got in a fight there. Nice. A lot of lesbians. Mm-hmm. 
a lot of long armpit hair at that mo- at that festival. <laughs> Horrible singer and Canadian. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of chicks. She's a tops. good singer. She's a good singer. All right. What? What? Anything else you guys have to say about Lance Morissette? Um, just that the song that I'm trying to pick out of my brain is something something uh, deliverance. I can't. Think of it. I have to pick. That's fine to hit this baby. Yeah. I've almost finished my foray, so I don't. don't, Last thing I have written down. It's not that important. Is convenience store food and fast food, and they do talk about this in the movie. David Foster Wallace asks why they can't just eat like that all the time because of the instant satisfaction, and Lipsky says, "Well, you know, unless you want to lose all your teeth, die of malnutrition, basically." Um. And I like that they ate IHOP and McDonald's. Only thing I really have to say about that is growing up uh, when I was young and my uh, being raised by a single mom and my mom being very busy that she would off she had a, she had gas station credit cards and she would often run into Shell or BP and buy me gas station burritos and junk food <laughs> and bring it home for me and I would say could I just have some fruit? <laughs> I was like I the one kid that would ask for fruit. I was raised by a single mom and never had that problem. And even now, like uh, Heath and I were gonna, well, I still, I still have a certain nostalgic affection for microwave burritos from um, the gas station. From the gas station, but I try to fight. Well, one, they're like twelve million calories, but I mean, I still like the um, and our A&P. pot pies because that was my treat. Uh, we always had, ate healthy, and every time I got a, a pot pie, that meant I could. Eat my pot pie and uh, eat like it. One of the banquet like dollar pot pies. Or yeah, I, if I got a pot pie, that meant I could eat it while I was watching TV. So mm, that was, was super exciting. Dinner. Yeah, that was super exciting to me I when I was growing up. Think TV dinners were the coolest thing as a kid. That was my TV dinner. I remember asking once if we could have TV dinners for Thanksgiving because I thought they were the coolest thing ever because they were in their compartments and everything and. I was a kid. I didn't know what good food tasted like. Honestly. I guess. <laughs> I still almost would prefer TV dinner than Thanksgiving. I hate Thanksgiving. It's it's horrible. But um, It's not horrible. Unless you have a banquet or Hungry Man is what you want. A Hungry Man TV dinner. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, not a big fan of Thanksgiving. Not a big fan of family holidays. Because you either spend them with your own family who you don't want to see. Or you spend them with other people's families who you want to see even less. So, Or you could be lonely like Thanks. we talked about earlier. Yeah. Love you. It's horrible. I just want to. I just want to eat a big old turkey by myself, like Elvis. <laughs> Smother it in peanut butter and deep fry it. Put some bananas on top. Heathen, you're you're staring uh, attentively, or, uh, attentively at your. Does that mean you want to do your rank? Yes, please. <laughs> the five. So this movie was called um, the End of the Tour. So I gave Heathen five things to rank. These are. Four of these are final tours. These are all in 2015. We have Shania Twain's final tour. This one has a lot of press. She's been talking about this for a while. Motley Crue's final tour. They are touring extensively, ending in Hollywood. The Who's final tour, we'll see if it really happens. Uh, I don't even count them as the Who since that Keith Moon's not alive. Rush's final tour. Don't care. They're actually not even sure if it's their final tour. They just think <laughs> it may be. And then I ran out of final tours for 2015, so we'll do something that happens every year, which is a tour de France. Okay. So, I'm going to say uh, Rush's 
final tour is number one no the worst thing ever <laughs> aren't you happy it's the final tour uh, not if they're gonna be like uh, Ozzy Osbourne and. Did you ever um, see the um, the Jason Segel movie, uh, the bromance movie? I can't remember. I, I I love you, man. No. You never saw that. That was one of my favorite movies. Of him. Jason Segel loves Rush in that movie, and who is Paul Rudd in that movie too? Is Paul yeah. Rudd there? And Paul, he makes Paul Rudd go to a Rush concert, and they they make a little. I didn't see it. They make a little band in the garage in his man cave, and uh, he plays along with Rush songs. <laughs> anyway. Um, the Who's would be like number four. It would be like number four. Yeah. Um, Motley Crue. Mm-hmm. We saw their we final tour. We did see them. Um, kind of a letdown. Rather have seen Rush. Shania Twain. Gross. Love her. Canadian. Shut up. She used to be she's, hot in the 80s when she wore leather pants. Now she still old, rocks it, up. so shut your mouth. And the Tour de France. Is number one? Yep. Why? Have you seen it? Tight pants. I suppose. Wouldn't you? Would, would it be fun to take all of those bands and make them have a bicycle race, like Hanna Barbera style, and sing? Like our or a cannonball? No, no. Just they have a bicycle race across the country, and they all have to like fight each other. They have to have like a guitar. Race. No. They have to have their. I just want to see. Have to have their. I just uh, want to see Vince Neil on a bicycle and be able to make 20 ride feet without passing Ride on a bicycle and they have to play their guitar on the front. No. Like, um... Conan O'Brien? Yeah. Every time I think about the Tour de France, I think about, like, these Italian bicyclists that smoke while they're riding. And I think of Lance Armstrong cheating and having one testicle. And... True. Oh, but oh, I'm not even going to go there. No one gives a shit. Shania Twain. <laughs> go to your happy place. Is your number two? Last call. Looking at the world mm. the bottom of a glass. All I see is a man who's Last call. I have not finished my sipping beer, so I will do that now, Heathen, while you give your last words. Is Shania Twain coming <laughs> close That's to us? That's fine to hit this baby. Oh. I, I haven't heard so. Duran Duran's Just coming like to Reno. Him, he would interrupt me. <laughs> well, I said, um, no, there's some surprises. Like I said, I didn't expect Duran Duran to be touring again. There's also some other people I pointed out. Touring again? You mean another final tour? Did Duran Duran have a final oh, tour? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to chug my beer because I said I would, and often on my sipping beverage, I don't finish it. Actually, I don't even finish my, my sipping beverage even during mixing. Um, so any other final words, Heathen? Besides, you just uh, you have another entry into your to your diary. No. Beer maker man, any last words? One more week. Until. Ribfest. <laughs> no. Yeah, Dishwall is coming to Ribfest, and Foghat's coming to Ribfest, and Heathen says, "I don't know who either one of those are," <laughs> and I was like, Dishwall is counting blue cars." Uh, Foghead is I just want to make love to you. She's yeah, like, yeah. I just want to make love to you too. And I was like, No, it's the name of the song. You dumb. I boat. know. <laughs> I was being cute. You're a fucking dick. Try harder. <laughs> I fucking hate you. I don't have any last words. We don't know what our movie is next week. Um, the movie club is seeing the new Owen Wilson No Escape movie. 
You really thought I didn't know Which what that was? Which looks like it is based on a fictional Thailand. <laughs> um, we will probably at least be going back to doing one Netflix movie a week again. If anyone has a suggestion on a movie you'd like us to see, um, send that in. I did see American Ultra, uh, also starring Jason, Jesse Eisenberg, being almost as big of a pussy, except for he kills people with a spoon. Yeah, I really want to see it, but it hasn't been getting it's, good reviews. Just go in expecting a stupid movie and... It's fine. There's much worse movies out there. I mean, there wasn't any part of the movie where, well, there was a couple, but I mean. I pay no attention to the reviews and I'm always happy. Yeah. You like really shitty movies too. I I don't usually listen to reviews unless pretty much everybody is saying it's a shitty movie. Hmm. Mm. That makes me want to go see it that much more. Well, American Ultra on Rotten Tomatoes was like in the 20, 30 something where Fantastic Four was like at 4%. (laughs) <laughs> so there is a difference between like shitty movies right. and just like quasi shitty yeah. movies. So I think or, American Ultra could possibly be considered a misunderstood movie more well, than a shitty movie. Yeah, shitty movies and complete and utter failure. And like David Foster Wallace talks about, he's talking about a uh, adaptation of a book into a movie, I think starring Nicole Kidman or something. And he says, that movie was so bad. It was so bad. It wasn't even charming. <laughs> and I thought that was funny because I like movies that are so bad that they're that they're fun. They're like, yeah. that's funny. That's so bad. But he's like, this movie's so bad. There's nothing redeemable about it. Well, 50 I think he Shades, and I could have got along. Fifty Shades of Grey for me was... Oh, here comes Ethan's last words. Was <laughs> great. Yeah, that's fine to hit this baby. Fifty Shades of Grey was great? The movie? Yeah. yeah. Was that your last words? Mm-hmm. Keep it wet, everybody. All my neighbors are fast asleep, and I can't find anything to drink. Mackenzie's drank all the great alcohol, so I'm headed down the street to first call.
pour it on the ground and you can lick it off the ground. It'll probably taste better. 